You've received the music. But it can't save you. The question is, are you going to receive the word that can save you? If you respond to what can't save you, how much more? How much more should we respond to the word of God? I want to talk to you from this subject today, private identity. Private identity. It is important for large corporations to identify their supplies in case of a theft. The property value may be small, but it's important for them to be able to trace the stolen stuff and prove ownership and secure a conviction. In England, the railroad companies have an interesting way of making all their rope in every foot of it, at the cordage factory, is twisted a single colored strand. This is not much thicker than a pack thread and not noticeable until the rope is cut. But then it furnishes the most damaging proof and cannot be removed without destroying the rope itself. Each English railroad company has its own private identification mark. One may be red, another green, blue, and so on, and etc. But it's how they trace their property. All humans have the same genes arranged in the same order. Now get this. All humans have the same Genes arranged in the same order. And more than 99.9% of our DNA sequence is the same. But the few differences between us are enough to make each one of us unique and one of a kind. God made you different than me, and God made me different than you. Why? Because he wants us to have our own private identification. Why did he do this? Simply because he gave us this private identification so that we can have an intimate relationship with us. So what I'm going to get out of today is not necessarily what you're going to get out of today. Because God's going to show up for Rob differently than he's going to show up for Brother Bartlett. I need you to understand, it's very private. That's why you don't know where I came from. And I don't know where you came from. But I am telling you today that God wants to meet you your need. See, because if we were all alike in every way, we could only be loved all the same way. But God wants to love us for who we are. Now, I didn't understand this 
God made us different so he could love us differently. And I, I didn't understand this, but when I first had our first child, Roddy, come along, and he was, maybe not now, but then he was cute. And he was adorable, and I would coddle him and hold him and love on him and kiss him, and I don't do that much. He's like, Dad, I guess when you're in 30s, that don't work. But we loved him so much. We dressed him in the latest fashions, put Nike tennis shoes on him and cut his hair and did all kinds of things to him because we just, man, we loved him. We loved him, and, and the thought was that I don't know when we have another child if I could love that second child like we love the first child. There's no way. And I didn't understand how I could possibly love my second child as much as I love my first child until Corey was born. Now that Corey has come along, we find ourselves loving him you're missing this message, Corey. You should have been here a long time ago. <laughs> that we love him as much as we love Robbie, but we love him differently than we do his oldest brother, Robbie. I never understood this about how love really works. And then when I got to looking at who we are in Christ... And we being the children, the children, the children of God. How that he loves us all. But he loves you right where you are. And he loves you differently than he loves me. As private as my DNA is, so is my relationship with God. He understands you and I when no one else understands you. When you are looking for an answer and nobody can give you the answer, I am telling you today that Jesus Christ is still the answer for this world today. And when you need an answer and the world can't give it to you, and you need an answer and your government can't give it to you, and you need an answer and your president can't give it to you, and you need an answer and your pastor can't give it to you, and you need an answer but your spouse can't give it to you, and you need an answer but the doctor couldn't give it to you, and you need an answer but the psychiatrist couldn't give it to you, you need an answer but the counselor couldn't give it to you. I am telling you that wherever you are in this place today, that Jesus Christ is the answer for you, and he will come to you right where you are. Yes, he will. He'll come right where you are. There is not one of you here today that is excluded for what I'm preaching. Jesus Christ is here for you. He loves you. Underscore. He loves, loves you. I don't care what everybody else is saying. I don't care how many churches you might have been kicked out of. What people qualify you to be is not what God qualifies. God loves you. I am telling you, he loves you. But let me make it very clear. He loves you from where you are. Not as you are. Now let me qualify this. Because as implies that his love keeps you there. 
But when Jesus loves you, he loves you to take you from. Not to keep you in your sins. Not to keep you in your circumstances. Not to keep you in your dilemma. Not to keep you in your question. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he loves you enough to pull you out of the muck and mire of your past and say it's time for me to love you out of your sin. Let me just say, however far you have gone is not too far from God. David, David, who was the king over God's children, was walking walls when he should have been on the battlefield. Saw a married woman bathing and had lust in his heart. He stole her from her husband. His baby was in her womb. Lied and, fell, and was full of deceit. He killed her husband. He was as evil as evil could be. But then he writes Psalms 139.7 and says, Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? David was suggesting that he had removed himself from God. But where I go, God will reach me. What I have done, God will forgive me. Amen. David was suggesting that he had removed himself from God. But where can I go? He said that your love will not reach. God could only love David from his private place. When nobody else knows where you are. And nobody else understands why you did what you did. Mm. You've been condemned, ostracized, ridiculed. You've been talked about. They've stabbed you in the back and talked about you and said things that were not even true. It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter. Amen. It doesn't matter how many lies, about lies have said about you. Your friends have forsaken you. Your family don't love you. I'm telling you, there's still one that says, Whether shall I go from thy spirit and whither shall I flee from thy presence? God, I have fallen to the bottom and I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. There's one here that says I can get into your private life and pull you out and bring you back up again so that you can experience a true divine move of my spirit of forgiveness in your life. Hallelujah. God will identify himself in your DNA. And he will identify that you belong to him. You don't belong to this world. We've said it. I reiterate. This place is not my home. I said, this place is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My mind is made up somewhere beyond the blue. 
Hallelujah. God wants to identify in your personal life, in places that nobody else understands. There's a thread running through your spiritual rope, and God says, that belongs to me. I don't care where you come from. I don't care your ethnicity. I don't care what people think. I tell you that Jesus Christ is wanting to identify who you really are. And when you don't know, he's wanting you to get a revelation of who he is to you. He is your creator, and he loves you. You are his children, and he loves you right where you are. And he loves you enough. Because he wants to love you out of. Out of. David begins, uh, continues to write in Psalms 139.7. He continues and says, Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, or though I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I'm doing right, God, you're there. But even when I've messed around and screwed up my life, excuse the terminology, and I have messed up royally, Lord, you're still there. Because when I make my bed in hell, you are still there. When I'm doing right on my mountaintop, you're still God. And when I'm in my valley, you're still God. You change not. When no one else loves me and they change what they say, you don't change. You still love me. You still love me. You still love me, but you love me from my sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I feel good in this place right now. I might just go to dancing myself before it's over. Amen. I feel like somebody's going to get a revelation of the delivering hand of God in your life. I believe he's getting ready to do something in your life unlike you have ever fathomed possible. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, yeah. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Even there shall, even there, even there, even there, even there shall thy hand lead me. That's what David was saying. That's what David was saying after he walked a wall, saw a married woman in bathing and lust for her. That's what he understood that even though he stole her husband and, and his baby was in her womb, he still could say, I have a God that will not leave me nor forsake me, but he'll always be there. I'm going to have to get an oxygen shake. I'm getting old. Oh, see, Grace is over there laughing like, yeah. He's going to need it too. He's getting up there too, so. Hey, man. Where shall I go? God, no matter how far I fall. Let me show you what it says in Acts 13, 22 about David. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up unto him, them, David, to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. After all that, ah, after all that, you say, well, I don't, I'm not sure I should go to church. I don't deserve it. After all that, he said, man, I've gone too far. I've done things I know I shouldn't have done. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite and go to church. One person said, well, I'm not going to go to church and sit by that hypocrite. And the pastor said, well, you better go to church and sit with that hypocrite so you don't have to sit with that hypocrite in eternity. Why don't you just come to church anyhow? Why don't you just show up anyhow? If you understand anything about my God, his grace is sufficient. I don't care if you fell on your way to church. He'll pick you up. It doesn't matter all of the sins that you have accumulated in your life. He says, I am big enough and my grace is sufficient for thee. I can do what man cannot do. Hey, someone shout hallelujah. Shout it like you mean it. Shout it like you want the devil to hear it. Somebody shout hallelujah. I struggled with this for a long time. How could this be? A man so evil and so vile. A man who was over God's people. How could this be that he would say that he was a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you, because he didn't stay in it. He let God love him out of it. His love will pull you out. If someone tells me, well, I've not changed any, then something's wrong with your true revelation and relationship with his love. God, your love doesn't keep me there, but it takes me from. Man, I've got the devil on the run right now. I got the devil on the run, and he's trying to say, hey, man, have mercy. I don't care. I'm going to kick you upside and one down the other, and before I'm done, you're going to wish you hadn't showed up at church. Uh, maybe I ought to say this, though. The devil's more faithful than a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. We've already kicked him out a long time ago, so. Doesn't matter much what vile things and acts of sinful deeds you have had in your life. You might be a victim of evil, or maybe you're the one that has victimized someone else. You have hurt the innocent. You've betrayed. You've destroyed your family. Now you're lonely. All of this and a whole lot more I can say, but God wants to love you from where you are. You hear me? You matter. You matter. You matter to God. Luke 12, 6 even says this. 
Jesus is speaking, and he says this. Love you, buddy. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And now one of them is forgotten before God. Right here he is, he speaks of the value of creation, what he makes. He's talking about five sparrows are sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before God. They may seem insignificant, but not to God. Sparrows are as small and as, as small as they are. He's saying they have value. And there's not one sparrow that will fall from heaven that he does not see. Let me give you a riddle. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it or see it, did it fall? You know why you all so quiet? Because you don't even know what kind of answer I'm going to give you. Yes, it fell. Let me tell you why. His eyes are in every place. His ear. He can hear all and he can see all. Just because nobody else sees it, God sees it. Don't play with yourself. And think just because nobody sees it and nobody hears it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Honey, you know what's going on in your heart. You know the reality of your life. You know, and it's not just that you know. God knows not only what you say and what you did. He knows your intent. Yeah. He knows what's going on. So yes, this fall. That's all that matters is that God was there. He hears it and he sees it. All right, let me go on. And then in Luke 12, 7, it says this. It goes on about how valuable we are, that we matter, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now he's talking about self-worth. It was a question to them about their self-worth. I need you to know how I feel about you so you can know who you are, so you can feel better about what he's created you to be. You're better than drugs. You're better than lying. They are only things that pull you back to make you feel less than what God created you to be. So what he's trying to do is there is a thread. He wants you to identify So that he can call you his own. Luke 12, 8 says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, 
him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. This is interesting to me. He says the real question is, do, do, do you know me? Can you identify me in you? Uh, hear me what I'm saying. Paul makes this statement in his identification to Christ. He says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I or myself, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, my flesh is not why I live. My desires is not what, why I live. But it's Christ that liveth in me. So all of my flesh and all of my desires say, Lord, what do you want me to be? Thus he is saying, in your DNA, I have created in you to have a true divine relationship with Jesus Christ so you can know who you are. And you matter. Every sparrow, every hair that God has created he has created it with worth. Are you all still with me? I'm just about ready to conclude. In the Old Testament, God was going to destroy the city. And there was a little woman by the name of Rahab who hid the spies She was a harlot. I, I like this already. She's a harlot. You know why I like this scripture? Because God used her as part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She's in the bloodline. You know what that tells me? Doesn't matter who you are. He's going to use you to identify. I hope I'm helping somebody right now. We say there's, there's something you got to do. That when they come back to destroy the city, you need to take a scarlet thread, throw it out the window, a red scarlet thread, and let it unroll down the side of the wall. And when they come to destroy the city and judgment comes upon the city, and there's one little place in the city the little harlot lives. He said, every one of you that look upon her house and see the scarlet thread, you leave that place alone. You leave it alone. And Rahab, I can only imagine how she was going from house to house, getting all of her family said, we're having a party at our house tonight. It's going to be party in Pentecostal style. 
No liquor, no booze. No drugs, no token. No needles. We're going to have a party, a party tonight. They probably looked at Rahab and thinking, now sis knows how to party. But when she begins to tell him, listen, the city's going to be destroyed. And she, she did her best to get as many in her house as she could without real success. So when they come to judge the house of Rahab, hallelujah, the city was destroyed because that one little thread, the thread that identified, the thread down the wall, the thread. It seems so insignificant. It seems so useless and really not necessary. Would identify her. Would identify her to her saving. Jesus Christ was delivered to Pilate. Judas saw that they had decided to kill Jesus. Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus. And when he saw what was happening, he was sorry for what he had done. So he took the 30 pieces of silver and bring them back to the priest and the elders and threw him down. Judas said, I, I sinned. I handed, over to, I handed you, uh, over to you an, an innocent man to be killed. And the Jewish leaders answered, we don't care. That's your problem and not ours. So Judas takes the money, throws it into the temple. And he went from, went out from them and hung himself. The leading priest picked up the silver coins in the temple and they said, according to our law, it does not allow us to keep the money with the temple money. Because this money has paid for a man's death. So they decided to use the money to buy a field called Potter's Field. This field would be a place to bury people who died while visiting Jerusalem. It was a field. It was a field. Potter's Field was a place to bury the unknown. And here, over 2,000 years later, and all that have died and were forgotten in Potter's Field, including Jesus himself, or the money thrown in the field. Jesus' death is the one that will never be forgotten. But what makes it more powerful than anything, it will never be forgotten for the forgotten.
when everybody else forgets those that are buried and all of the unknown that are buried in Potter's Field. The money was blood money. And that blood money purchased you. So when Rahab threw the scarlet thread down the side of that wall, Jesus says, my blood, the blood of an innocent man is going to mark you. It's going to mark you. It's going to mark you. That's why it says in Matthew 27, 8, wherefore that field is called the field of blood unto this day. It was blood money that was placed in the field for the unknown. You may never have your name in lights. You may never be famous. You may never stand before people and behind a lector and speak with eloquence and have the ability to articulate. But it doesn't matter where you are. You are not forgotten. Because when you are buried in the blood of a field of an innocent man, You will never know how to bear the mark of a private identity of Jesus Christ. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. They say that blood, blood, blood is a rare fertilizer. They tell me that the bit of ground in Belgium called the Waterloo bears each spring a crop of rare forget-me-not. That ground had very unusual gardening plowed up by cannons and gunshots, sown deep with men's lives, worked, tilled, even so thoroughly by tilling and struggling feet, moistened with gentle rain of dying tears, soaked with the red life of blood, it now yields its yearly harvest of beauty. Blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, and almost... All things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Listen to me very carefully. And we're about ready to conclude today. And then I want to call everybody out that really and honestly wants to be identified with Jesus Christ. After I have you stand up, I want you to step out as quickly as you can and come to this altar. But not yet. Not yet. If you are born once, you are born in the devil's family. If you are born once, you are born in the devil's family. If you are born twice, you are born into God's family. That's why we preach and we teach, you must be born again. Blood must cover you. Because when Jesus died, his resurrection gives us the opportunity to be born again of God's family because in this flesh dwelleth no good thing but in the family of God I bear the identity of his blood in my life 1 Peter 4 16 says yet if any man suffers Christian 
as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says this also, For I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you all to sit up real straight. Lean forward just a little bit. Okay, now I got you where you're going to listen to me. Morality may keep you out of jail. Keep leaning forward. Come on. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. I am preaching to somebody today. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I am talking into your spirit right now that you need a complete demonstration of God in your own personal life. And you say, but I don't know if he loves me. Yes, he does. You matter. And he wants to come to you right where you are and in a place where only he can identify with you in your condition and bring you out. As we all stand, as we all stand, as we all stand. If you believe that your pastor has preached to you, and if some of you that are visitors here today feel like your pastor, this pastor or this preacher has spoken to your spirit, as they begin to sing, I want you to get out from where you are as quickly as you can. Get down to this altar, scoot up as close as you can. If you want to be on your knees, get on your knees. If you want to stand, stand. But I'm calling you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Right now, brother. You are not hidden. Hey! Yes! There's never been a moment you were forgotten yeah. you were not whole come on come on take it to the lord take it to the lord you let your voice cry it, out here i am lord i need i need i need God, I you, you to touch me and to come to me and to reveal to me in the private places I of my life your SOS, your Hey. For I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night is through. I will rescue you. For there is no distance. They cannot be covered over and over for your not defenseless. Yes, I'll be your shelter and I'll be your armor. For I hear you whisper underneath your breath. Yes, come on, I come on, come on. Yes. Stop.
Over and over, for you're not defenseless. 